This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn Marketing. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups, Silicon Valley Bank. For over 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped thousands of tech and life science companies plan for the future. Learn more at svb.com slash next. Silicon Valley Bank, built for what's next. And Main Street. Founders, you're owed over $50,000 by the IRS. Main Street gets it back for you in 20 minutes. Get back your cash at mainstreet.us slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. I am super pleased to talk to the founder of Running Tide today because I care about climate change like I'm sure all of you do. I believe in climate change uh, and solving uh, that problem um, as best we can and, and that there must be solutions to it. But I'll be honest, I feel like a neophyte. I feel like I don't have the education I need. I trust the scientists. But as an investor and a technologist, I would really love to be able to invest in some companies and some visions and see people take some uh, big swings and some risks and uh, build companies around this. And my friend, Chris Saka, who's a big fan uh, or big friend of the pod, I should say, uh, I assume he's a fan of it, but <laughs> I know he's a friend of the pod, um, tweeted out from his at Saka account recently that Running Tide was the kind of company we're hoping we would find when we started lower carbon, everybody knows Chris Saka retired from angel investing, he did well enough with Instagram and Uber and decided, hey, uh, I'm going to just cash in my chips and be done. But then he said, you know what, nah, I want to do a, a carbon based um, venture fund investment fund. Uh, and he says here, bonker scale unreasonable ambition, massive impact on the planet during insane times, it's entrepreneurs like Marty Odlin, that fire us up. And uh, he linked to a story about running tide. And I thought, uh, even though it's early days, I would uh, have the founder, Marty Odlin on the program to talk to us about what he's doing with running tide. Welcome to the pod, Marty. Thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. Um, explain to people what run running tide does and what your vision is. Running tide is actually a, uh, say we're full, full stack, um, aquaculture company so we're building focusing on filter feeders um which would be like um, oysters scallops clams and kelp and you know we're another way to think about it is that we're building and managing large-scale living ocean systems i love th eating three or four of those things so big yeah. fan of oysters and, and scallops not so much the kelp uh yeah. So well, kelp does, you can do different things with kelp. You don't just have to eat it. But um, yeah, I mean, these are all like do people eat kelp. I was, I'm curious. Yeah, people a... do. People do. It's actually a big part of, uh, there's this really interesting professor. His name is Michael Crawford out of Imperial College in London. He's done some studies on, um, you know, what diets basically lead to like have best outcomes on longevity. And by and large, they seem to be uh, diets that are rich in like DHA and omega-3s. Uh, mm. DHA is like sheaths the signaling pathways in your brain. Um, yeah. And uh, it's 
the two best sources of DHA are oysters and kelp. So if you look at people, like, oh, people in Okinawa uh, have fantastic health outcomes at old age because they're eating so many um, DHA rich foods. And uh, I actually do remember that. I think Malcolm Gladwell in one of his books talked about, I don't know if it was a tipping point or one of them, just the, the Okinawa, uh, the, especially the, I think it was the women in Okinawa living like, you know, to a hundred or something. Yeah. Um, so that DHA and kelp is a, is a major way to do it. What, how does that, I wonder how that becomes, uh, what dishes that's in? Is it in soup? Is it in a pill format? How do people eat it? Like a salad? Yeah, I, th I, th I think so. Yeah, for the most part, it's going to be in soups and soups and salads. Um, you know, I, I prefer to eat oysters and, yeah, oysters <laughs> oysters and shellfish, but, uh, you know, like the, the kelp can play a role in diet as well. So, so how do those um, uh, organisms uh, impact carbon? Well, you know, in a number of different ways, like for every 100 grams of oysters uh, you eat, you get 12 grams of uh, carbon sequestered in the shell, right? Shells are calcium carbonate. Um, you know, most of the carbon on earth is actually locked up in calcium carbonate. So, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a natural part of the carbon cycle, like the geologic carbon cycle is um, the, the carbon sequestered in shells. Um, it's so wait, also carbon yeah, from the air that makes its way into the water is that's then right. formed into oyster shells. That's right. That's right. That's one pathway. That's like one, one end result for carbon, oh. like natural process that absorbs carbon um, from the atmosphere. And then, you know, the other one, like the one that makes oil kind of, and what you brought me on to talk about was, uh, is kelp. Um, kel or kel so people say that oil is, uh, dead dinosaurs right but yes. really what it is for the most part it's you look on ancient you're they're looking for ancient seabeds when they're exploring for oil and what they're looking for is uh deposits of dead macro and micro algae so kelp is a macro algae that like floats around in the ocean dies and sinks to the bottom gets sedimented and becomes uh fossil fuels at some point in the future ah, i didn't know that so the yeah. concept we all have from jurassic park and whatever that dinosaurs equal oil is actually not correct, I'm sure in part. In part, it's correct, yeah. But, but it's mainly algae and kelp. Yeah, that's right. And so, what is your company doing with this observation that kelp sequesters carbon? Uh, well, you know, we, we've... So, let's just... There's basically 800 gigatons. Well, over the next 10 or 20 years, we're going to have to remove 800 to 1,000 gigatons of carbon from the atmosphere and the oceans. Um, that's basically what we've, the excess that we've created in the industrial revolution, that's what we put up in the sky. And in order to get back to a steady state, we're gonna have to remove it. So that yeah. is like, think about it this way. Even if we went to a zero carbon economy where we're not producing any or uh, emitting any excess CO2, we still have that much carbon up in the atmosphere, increasing the amount of energy in the Earth's, uh, you know, in increasing the amount of energy in these like, super dynamic ecosystems and cause and wreaking havoc so um so we have to take that out we have to take it out no matter what no matter what so we have some to, of we it's have in the air and some of it's already in the oceans that's right and it's a little bit alarming as it you know it'll dissolve into the ocean to reach equilibrium with what's in the atmosphere you, uh, you, that makes sense, that's yeah. where ocean acidification comes from right so it's like excess co2 in the ocean over steady state because it, it's going to try to balance the ocean's going to try to balance the um concentration with the atmosphere you're going to acidify the ocean that, that's absolutely terrifying for everyone on earth um there's a 
professor named um, Ray Hilborn in University of Washington, and he talks a lot about how important just the the amount of protein and calories produced by the ocean every year, and if that went away, what would have to do to land use? And essentially, there's not enough land to replace what could be lost in the in the oceans if the oceans acidify. So it's like. You know, where where are we at in that path to the oceans having a cataclysmic event, and what is the likelihood of that? It's, I mean, it's it oh, it's 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 likely. I mean, you can it's it's gonna happen if we don't do something. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, all these problems, uh, they're only gonna get worse unless like none of this is gonna stop unless we make it stop. Got it. So, and you know, like I've done, a, I've been off and on researching this for you know my my entire professional career, and basically, um. I don't think it really like timelines don't really matter at this point because even 10 years, 15 years ago, the worst case scenarios that people were imagining in terms of sea ice collapse or increasing temperatures, um, et cetera, we're already seeing worse, like worse than worst case scenarios. So there's a bunch of negative feedback loops that are kicking into gear right now where forests are burning, releasing uh, carbon into the atmosphere, uh, permafrost is melting and releasing methane, et cetera. It's like a lot of bad news. I don't really like to rehash it because... Uh, well, I mean, I think part of confronting it is just sort of, yeah, part of solving it is confronting it. So yeah, in a way, what you're saying is, hey, the global warming that's happening, uh, it melts the ice caps, that creates these heat waves, the heat waves burn all these forest fires in California, that in turn releases more carbons, which starts this, yeah. uh, you know, let's call it a death spiral here. Let's call it what it, it, it is. is. Yeah, it is it a is. literal death spiral for our planet. Um, and, and there's, there's, yeah. So, I mean, if you want to confront it, like that's what it is. And I mean, you know, we talk about this, this is like hurting people right now, you know, I mean, this is in in my life, like I'm from a family of fishermen and, um, grew up working on the waterfront and, uh, you know, just like this, there's been a huge reduction in opportunities for people in my community on like what fish are around to catch where were you right, uh, where are you where's your family a fisher uh portland portland oh, in portland, portland maine yeah and just going out in portland maine you saw a distinct difference in what uh, you were able to catch when we get back from this break i want to talk about what you saw firsthand uh, in that regard when we get yeah. back on this week's service listen up everybody linkedin is going to give you 100 in ad credits towards your first linkedin campaign wait till the end of this ad read and you will get that hundy Over 78% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as the most effective social media platform for reaching objectives. Why? I think you know why. There are 62 million decision makers on LinkedIn, and they mean business. I know this because we market Angel University, Founder University, Remote Demo Day on LinkedIn because we get a great response. Imagine you're about to launch your marketing campaign and it tested well and the team's super happy. Everything is going according to plan, except that one thought in the back of your head. How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message? In other words, are they in a business mindset? And the answer is LinkedIn. When you market on LinkedIn, your message reaches people who are ready to do business. That means your campaign will work as hard as it can as soon as you launch it. LinkedIn equals business. LinkedIn equals business. Business equals LinkedIn. You all know it. It's that simple. And LinkedIn can help you with targeting because they do lead generation and brand building. And you can target that audience down to the job title, the company name and location. So if you're looking for CIOs, CTOs, VPs of sales, you're looking for people in New York, you're looking for people in Miami, wherever you're looking for people, 
and you're looking for titles, they're gonna target and put your marketing message in front of people when they're ready to buy, and you're of course gonna be in front of the right people with the right titles. Get that $100 right now. I'm really thankful to LinkedIn for doing this. Go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups right now to get the hundy. Hurry for your hundy because it may not be there forever. LinkedIn.com slash thisweekinstartups. You gotta type in all those letters and terms and conditions apply. Thanks again to LinkedIn for supporting independent media like This Week in Startups. Okay, let's get back to the show. All right, we're back on this week in startups with Marty Odlin. He is on the Twitter, Marty O-D-L-I-N, CEO and co-founder of RunningTide.com, uh, which my friend Chris Saka invested in and tweeted about. And I thought, hey, this is a really interesting company in the early days. Hey, when you when your family was out there fishing, what did you see when you were a kid and versus what you see today uh-huh. uh, going out in Portland to go fishing? I mean, it's just, it's like any number of different species have changed their uh, geographic distribution related to ocean warming. Um, so, you know, you can see that the center of biomass of lobsters, for instance, um, which are the first boats that I worked on. That's like my mom's family's predominantly lobstermen. Um, some people on my dad's side as well. But, um, you know, the, the center of biomass is moving north. So in other words, yeah. where lobsters used to be centered, it just that's keeps right. moving north. Because they keep trying to find colder water. That's exactly right. So, like, there's places like, um, you know, Cape Breton Island, which is off the eastern tip of Nova Scotia, and that's just having, like, phenomenal lobster catches where they didn't really have a lot before. And then you have places like Long Island Sound in New York who had a decent industry, and now it's gone. Um, So, you can see that moving. There's uh, a collapse of the mackerel fishery, um, the somewhat modulated but collapse of uh, codfish industry. The uh, northern shrimp no longer like we no longer have a uh, season in Maine. There hasn't been a season for five years. There probably won't be forever. Um, wow! And so it's just any number of these. And so it's like it's not. And the, the, it's just there's unequivocal evidence of this at at every stage. And like the probability that um, you know climate change is real and climate change is going to like drastically change how we live our lives is like it's a pr- it's approaching a hundred percent. Like I mean, sh- some people can find some doubt somewhere, but it's like every single. Data point no, no reasonable person can look at the statistics, can look at the outcomes, and say it's not happening. They can only debate what the what ultimate impact. It. Yeah, what right. to do and about it, what, what the ultimate impact right. will be. Like, and if you do, you want to kick the can down the road, or as Elon says, running this incredibly dangerous experiment. I mean, I I dove the Great Barrier Reef a couple of years ago. It was on my bucket list, and and I and I and I am almost reluctant to say how bad it was because I don't want to make the people there feel bad or or have a negative impact on the tourism industry. But, you know, you would go down and you would look at the reef and I I kid you not, you'd see this incredibly beautiful coral come around a turn and the, um, the antlers, you know, this kind of coral that looks like antlers would be white and it would be floating and moving around and I'd say, wow, what's that? And it, it was dead and it was all broken and just floating in the middle of the bottom of the ocean. I mean, it was one of the most disheartening things I've ever seen. No, it's incalculable loss, incalculable loss. Incalculable loss. And could take hundreds of years to reverse. So let's talk a little bit about what does it take to plant kelp? Is this a difficult thing to do or is it easy? <laughs> Nothing in the ocean is easy. Okay. <laughs> like, Explain. Yeah. Educate uh, me. Yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've been uh, working around the water for most, m- most parts of my life. And uh, it's, it's a really hard place. I know they say space is hard, but the ocean's really hard. It's just giant acid bath that wants to eat everything you put in it. So, um, you know, the, 
no, I, I would wager to say that nothing's easy if you're doing it in the ocean. Um, but how the whole process works is you hatch, you hatch kelp um, in a hatchery. Um, you know, we built a hatchery for our, that was like the, one of the first things Running Tide did was we built our own hatchery um, outside of Portland, Maine. And we, you, so you see, you basically seed kelp to line. And then what our concept is, is we'll take it out into the middle of the ocean, we'll deposit it in the ocean, and it'll uh, float along ocean currents until it reaches, um, you know, until it reaches full maturity. And then we'll have timed um, plugs in our buoys at fl floating these little farms. And when they, the ocean will eat away at it over with, with like a s somewhat uh, well-known um, degradation. And then after a certain period of time, uh, the plug and the buoy will get eaten away. It'll release the air and the entire works will get sunk to the deep ocean floor. Wow. So yeah. brilliant. Who came, yeah. you came up with that idea? Um, bits and pieces were in my head for a really long time, but I mean, I have to give full credit to my team. We have like just yeah. a phenomenal team of super geniuses <laughs> and so they're the ones that worked it all the way out. So just to recap, I'm trying to visualize this. Yeah. You are basically making little seedlings of kelp in a hatchery off right. of somewhere in Maine. And basically the kelp is on a string of some kind That's with right. a buoy at the top yeah. and a weight at the bottom, I guess. Of some type, or no. I guess the kelp weighs something. So it, the kelp, the kelp, yeah, that's right. So at a certain point, maybe it's a year or two, after, six months, six, six, to, six, months. To, six to eight months, yeah. So you, six to eight months in the hatchery, then you. No, 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 no. It's it's in the hatchery for forty days. Put it on forty a boat, days bring, in the hatchery. Bring, bring it, it up boat. to the deployment. Bring it up you to go, the deployment location. Wow. And drop you just, it off into an ocean current. Let it go. And it'll just float, and you know we've modeled this all out. It'll float out into the o deep ocean and sink uh, at a predetermined time, like that's determined it, by us. The buoy itself has some material in it that will break down over time. When that's it right. does break down, the weight just sends the kelp to the bottom of the ocean. That's right. And After if you do a number of days, yeah, it'll it'll be it, yeah, it'll be on the order of days. Um, it'll meaning it'll be six months plus or minus days. Got um, it. you know, and and then. Why six months? I'm just curious. That rather than just drop it to the bottom. Well, you get maximum growth, so we want, um, you know, one thing to think about. Well, okay, yeah, I'll just finish describing this and then yeah. we'll talk about. Yeah, let's the, describe the math because it really like, is fascinating. So the idea is that it'll grow for a given amount of time, and when it'll, you'll reach like a peak, uh, a peak growth where you actually start the the fronds of the kelp start to ablate, like so they start to break off. Mm. and you know that's that's great it'll still sink to the bottom and be sequestered but you know for us what we're trying to do is create a system where we have like discrete units that we're able to verify how much carbon is in, is contained by them and then sink that at a given time so what we want to do is we'll be we want to sink complete kind of micro farms with long ah. fronds um, when, when those are up on the top of the water are yeah. they sequestering more carbon? Is that the idea? Is that the top of oh, the water? Yeah, yeah. They sequesters only, more. The, they only work, right? They only work when they're when they have access to sunlight. So you're you're ah. looking at you're looking at like the top thirty meters of the water column. Um, so when they sink to the bottom, do they die when they, they get there? Yeah, they die. So think ah. about it this way: what we're doing is it's just a natural. It's a nudge now of the I natural understand. process. So we're just kind of we're like we're nudging a natural process. Um, yes. trying to accelerate it to the point 
where it'll, um, you know, it, it can like, will absorb the excess that we've done. But like one thing to think about is that like the scale that this has to happen at is absolutely tremendous. And I think people like the, the one thing about carbon sequestration that people really need to get their minds around is like how enormous this challenge is okay, and how so. much it's going to impact. It's how much it's going to impact all of our lives. And I mean, we're seeing it. If you see like a company like Beyond Meat, yep. like the multiples that Beyond Meat gets are because of its climate story. Right, you like mean people, the multiple on the value of the company? Yeah, like consumers are shifting their shifting habits. Like a lot of people really care about this, thankfully, and like they're shifting their habits in response to climate change, and it's going to affect everything. This is the everything. thing I couldn't believe about Im- those impossible foods and all these these fake foods uh, or these alternatives was I thought that they were a non-starter because it was so expensive. It turns out consumers are more than willing to pay twice as much for something that's not meat. Then, or three times as much than for something that is meat. I mean, it's, it's they're not pr- they're doing it f- because they want the world to smart. be better. Because and they're smart. People are, yeah, because people are smart and they don't they don't they, do, they don't want. I mean, I it sounds like silly, but I mean, I it's the truth. It's like we have climate change is a monster. It's like it's burning down for like California, right? What is it like five yeah. percent of California is on fire or was on fire this year? Yeah. Like. You know, there's towns getting destroyed. There's resources are getting stolen from us. Like this, it's like an enemy that's acting against us and people want to stop it. So um, there's only- This is a very bright, uh, this is just a tremendous observation and bright light, I think, in this whole battle, which is the individual consumer actually really cares deeply about this. And they are ch- radically changing personal behavior. Absolutely. So the failure of our governments, the failure of our leadership to act in a coordinated fashion is now being challenged by individual behavior. When we get back from this quick break, I want to know how long are these, you know, uh, the, these kelp uh, things. Yeah. I'm sorry to just tr- keep trying to visualize it. And <laughs> then okay. how many do we, would we need to do to yeah. just sequester the carbon we're using today when we get back on this week in startups? This Week in Startups is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. What's next? What if? Are we ready? Now what? These are the questions that can keep founders up at night. And no one understands this quite like Silicon Valley Bank. For over 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped thousands of high-growth companies by providing scalable financial solutions along with insights and expertise that many other banks just can't. From healthcare to hardware, software to infrastructure, Silicon Valley Bank works with companies across the innovation landscape at all stages of the journey, anticipating their needs even before they do. And by providing access to insights and in-depth reports, SVB can help you make more informed decisions and assist in turning your great idea into a great business, which could be why 50% of US-based venture-backed tech and life sciences companies bank with SVB. Will your business be next? Learn more at svb.com slash next. Silicon Valley Bank, built for what's next. Thanks again to SVB for supporting This Week in Startups. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back to an incredibly important episode of This Week in Startups. I want to do my part. I want to start investing in more carbon companies. If you have a company that's doing something to fight global warming, I want to hear about it. I want to get involved. Jason at calicanus.com. Email me. 
Uh, and as part of that today, kicking off, I want to have every company doing something important in climate change on this podcast. Uh, we had zero mass water on doing important work uh, in water um, sustainability. And we're going to just keep pulling this thread and figure out what great entrepreneurs are trying to solve the problem. We're going to give them a ton of exposure. Uh, and today, Marty Odlin is on the pod talking about running tide. So how long is this kelp? you know, uh, sheath or, or a tree stock that you're building. How long do they get? 30 meters. So 30 meters, three, yes. that's about 100 feet. 100 feet. Uh, you got it. Wow. So it's, it's a third of a football field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're tall, but they're not, they're not big, right? What mm -hmm. we're talking about, we're, we call them micro farms and we're, we make them as small as makes sense. Um, because, you know, that, that way you have, we're trying to spread them out as much as we possibly can. You don't want to, what you don't want to do there or what, what causes people problems in the past in these types of industries is where you like try to concentrate everything together. You know, it's just like thermodynamics tells you it's like much, it takes less energy to go like this with stuff than mm. it does to like make things come together. So yeah, um, so, trying to spread things out as much as possible, keep things at low density. Let me ask a let me ask this uh, and it maybe take a minute for you to do the math as a consumer. Let's say I drove you know, a car every day, like a Prius or something. So I burned a little bit of fossil fuel. And I lived in an apartment, I burned a little bit of, you know, oil, uh, as it were, an average American, how many of these stocks would I as an American, average American need to put in the ocean to just be carbon neutral? Would I need to put 100 stocks, one stock? Uh, so, okay, great question. Let me yeah. work it out really quick. <laughs> Jeez, th this is actually my nightmare when I was talking about coming on this. Uh, oh, coming on the pod is actually doing <laughs> like, like real time math. Uh, like, I, I like really shouldn't that. ask it this way. It was kind of a jerk like way to it. say it. But another okay. way to say it is how many stocks would it take for the entire planet to be yeah, I'll tell you neutral? that. I already ha I have that oh, figured have that out. One? Tell me that. Okay. One. Well, this is interesting. The average carbon footprint for someone in the U.S. is 16 tons. 16 uh, tons. Wow. Yeah, and the, and the 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 global global average is four tons. So we're four x worse than the average. Okay. So if we went to eight tons as a global, you know, if we or whatever. Uh, well, like that. I mean, we know. I know exactly how many buoys it would take to get to 40 gigatons. Uh, okay. So that's 400 billion. Okay. So that's a lot. That's, That's a, a lot. huge amount of effort, um, but it's it's but, possible. But it's possible. And the possible, and the ocean can absorb it. This is right. the most important thing, right? We have there are only so many places that you can take this carbon that's in the atmosphere and put it where it's out of the carbon cycle. So right. you can plant it into trees. You can put it into soil. Those are like somewhat temporary solutions because mm. you, you know they're they're still in the carbon cycle where people could go cut down the trees or burn down the forests or like overtill the land and release the carbon. So those are great. We need to do those as fast as possible. We need to plant trees. Yeah, we do. We need to do all of that. But then there's also this other type of carbon sequestration, which you call like permanent removal from the carbon cycle. And mm. that's critical because that's what we have to do to get back into balance. Mm. And so we need permanent removal. Um, so, you know, you can divide up the climate, climate work into like three parts. You have uh, behavioral change. So we release less carbon. Right. Eat oyster, like eat oysters. They're really good for you. Low carbon footprint. Fantastic thing to do. It offsets potentially, uh, you know, more carbon intensive protein sources that you could you could be eating. Right. So those things are important to do. Beyond and you said meat, scallops too? And scallops as well. Yeah, absolutely. I love those, those are all too. super important things to do. Um, and we, we need to do those. Then the other bucket is like pulling climate down or mm. pulling carbon down out of the atmosphere. And then you put it in and you want to do it into permanent places. So permanent places would be turn it into rock or like mm. calcium carbonate. 
um, where it's going to be super stable and it's not like it'd be take a ton of energy to get it out. So it's unlikely people would do that in the future. Then you have, um, you could turn it back into oil or like a gas and inject it deep underground. So there's some really interesting companies like Charm Industrial um, that's, that are doing that. And then finally, you could sink it to the bottom of the, of the deep sea, which we're doing. So Yeah, and um, it doesn't harm the ocean to put that carbon down there. No, I mean, it's a natural, it's a natural process. And no, like once the carbon gets down there, it's down. And to, when you talk about harm, like one of the things we have to be like super disciplined about is like we have to, we have to acknowledge that like no matter what level of effort we do into reversing climate change, there will be externalities. But mm. what's the option? We, what, right. like, what's the option? We let the ocean acidify and die? Like, that's insane. Like, no, you know, it, it's gotta, that's completely not an option. Yeah, right. So, so like, 400 so, billion to sequester everything in there or just to be neutral for the year? That's neutral for the year. Got so you it. have to do that, plus you have to decarbonize. And if we decarbonize and do that, then it would take us 20 years to get it all down. I mean, it's, it's like conservatively, it's going to be, you know, and this is like a huge number, but it's like people talk about like $40 trillion to get mm. the carbon out of the atmosphere down. And doesn't actually if, seem like an impossible number. I'll be totally honest. Seems yeah, it's, possible. It's, it's, it's possible. It yeah. is possible. The technologies are not fully baked. But no, no, yeah. one, no one has this fully baked. Nobody has this dial. Nobody's like, hey, you give me $40 trillion, this is done. You know what I mean? Like, it's right. we're not there yet, but we need to get there really, really fast. So, um, what would it take? What, what is the cost of today to drop a stock? Is it $100? Is it $1,000? Um, yeah, I mean, it's on the order of... Um, uh, I mean, it, you know, it's on the order of like 150 to $200. Hmm. Um, oh, oh per, per stock. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I was talking per ton. Yeah. Um, but per yeah, ton I is mean, interesting too to look at. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, so I, let's do per ton because then it's apple to apples when you have other people on board, right? So yeah, yeah we're looking like 150 to $200 a ton. We think like it, as we scale, you get some economies of scale. We get better at this. We're better at our selection of species, et cetera. We get better at our deployment locations. We refine our models. And, you yeah. know, I think it's totally reasonable for us to get under $50 a ton. I think $50 Wait, a ton. How many about, tons did a, an average American use, did you say before? Uh, 16. Okay, so, so it's not a crazy amount. I mean, so if I spent two thousand, if I gave you two thousand dollars, I could be carbon neutral with this. Uh, I don't know your lifestyle, but yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, probably, probably got to give you four k. Yeah. I'm not flying on private jets, but my house yeah, is big. Yeah, totally. So I mean, I do drive Teslas, but you know, yeah, that helps. That's that, that helps. helps. I, don't, I don't. I'm not making any judgments, but yeah, I mean, you have to be. No, careful. I think like, we do need to make judgments. I think everybody to be, needs to be judged on this. Now yeah, going I mean, you know, it depends on what you eat. You should. Uh, yeah, that's a bit <laughs> of a challenge a of, for me. Eat a lot of shellfish and, uh, um, yeah, I, you know, you know. It, it, robots and, you know, automation, I would think if we really took this seriously, building or taking an old oil rig or an old platform that's already in the ocean and having robots build and do this work and just throw it overboard. Yeah. I wonder well, if that I mean, would work too. Or barges doing this on bar. Could you take an old oil tanker and make that into a, um, you know, greenhouse to, to build this stuff. So it's just permanently out there. Oh, okay. No, sorry. No. <laughs> Is that the roadmap? No, no. Um, yeah, there's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of ways to scale this type yeah. of effort. I mean, the, the, what we're doing, I, I don't want to like, it's, there's a lot of sophisticated modeling that's going into this in terms of deploying in certain locations that are able to like have the correct nutrients and the biogeochemistry of the ocean bottom where you deploy is very important. So there's a lot of like, um, 
you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of like ocean knowledge and ocean data that gets crunched in order to make something like this um, viable. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that we can scale this up. And I think that it's, we have to, and you know, one way, you know, 400, 400 billion is not an insane number. It, it isn't because like, think how many coffee cups get made or think how many yeah. you know, trivial things that get made that don't like, aren't necessarily going to like, you know, for lack it, of a, to, to, to not be too overdramatic, but like you could potentially like have a huge impact on the future of civilization. Like, I mean, Elon Musk says all the time, right? Doesn't he say like cl- climate change is one of the filters? It's like one of the great filters. If you, if you're, if a civilization can't get control over its atmosphere and the concentration of gases in its atmosphere, then it doesn't pass the great filter. Yeah. And, and what we mean by great filter in the sense is the filter of does your species make it to the next level? Right. One of them is like, can you not kill each other with war? There's one filter. Can you, can you build yeah. a society where warring factions don't destroy <laughs> each other? Nuclear weapons. <laughs> That's one fusion, nuclear weapons, whatever. I guess, you know, being able to contain pandemics like we're in the middle of right now is another one. Uh, when we get back from this final break, uh, I want to understand where the, where you will place these deposit sites. And I'm just curious because I remember reading that, uh, if I'm correct, the Mariana Trench, uh, which is the deepest part of the ocean, I think, was considered as an even a nuclear waste disposal site. So I'm wondering if that plays into this when we get back on this week in Starters. If you're a founder, the IRS owes you some serious cash. That's right. But the only thing stopping you from claiming your cash is the single most detrimental thing to business productivity, paperwork. You don't want to do paperwork. That's where Main Street comes in. They are experts at getting you the biggest possible slice of the billions the IRS sets aside each year to encourage and support startups. It only takes 20 minutes. They grab all the data directly from your payroll system and they save startups an average of 51 thousand dollars in just the first month plus they'll keep fighting for you after you onboard qualifying you against hundreds of tax credits every month for free main street only gets paid when you do sandbox vr we know that company very well they got back eighty-two thousand dollars. italic got back one hundred twenty-four thousand dollars, and lofty ai started using main street just three months ago and they've been getting 3200 back per month it really is that simple onboard wait and get cash. Sometimes things that sound too good to be true can still be good and also true. They're trusted and backed by the best in Silicon Valley, Product Hunts, Ryan Hoover, Shrug Capital, Gradient, Ron Conway's fund, SV Angel. Uh, They're the real deal and they will help you get those tax credits. Twist listeners get 25% off their fees for life. Just visit MainStreet.us slash twist. MainStreet.us slash twist. Mainstreet.us slash twist. More details and a priority onboarding call with Mainstreet's team members are waiting for you at Mainstreet.us slash twist. Hey, welcome back to an important episode of This Week in Startups, uh, one which I want to make uh, a big focus of this podcast in 2021. You as a fan of the podcast can help by emailing m- myself and Nick at uh, launch.co and, uh, and Jason at uh, calacanis.com. You can email me and say, hey, Here's an important topic for you to cover. If you're a PR person, there's no need to email us uh, or a marketing person because you will not get your client on the podcast. If you do email us, we will put them on the penalty box and not put them on the pod for at least a year. So don't email us suggestions if you're a PR firm. 
we, we uh, take offense. Um, unless it's Masayoshi-san, in which case the PR person should email us because I'd love to interview Masayoshi-san. Um, but in all seriousness, the fans drive who's on the pod, um, as do our co-investors that we invest in at launch. And, and one of those is Chris Saka, uh, longtime uh, fan, uh, uh, part of the This Week in Startups family and a friend of the pod. So uh, Running Tide is our amazing guest today, Marty Odlin. And I'm curious, is the Mariana Trench a great place to put carbon sequestering because it's so far down? Or would, would would this stuff even make it all the way down? I wonder. No, I don't, well, I, I don't know. I've never, we've never modeled it out that deep. Never been um, to the Mariana Trench? <laughs> no, I've never been. Never been. <laughs> Talk to uh, Jim Cameron. I think he's I think yeah, the only person who's really been there. Yeah, I'd be... I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has some stories about it too. But um, the uh, yeah, I think that depth is critical. You want to be deep enough that the physics come in your favor and sort of like compressibility of the gases, and you know you don't want, you don't want carbon or methane to be like coming back up. But um, there's a little bit more to it than that. Where we also want to make sure that we're, um, you know, at least in our model, we think that it, the the best way to do this is. To spread it out over a large area that has the appropriate biogeochemistry to like kind of encourage the formation of kind of like deep carbon composite deposits um so it's it's there's some spe- specificity to where you put them at least in the model that we're trying to kind of uh would using. creating oyster farms also help with the sequestering problem yeah I mean, absolutely yeah that's like is that on your <laughs> plan every day no 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 that's that's actually how we started um we're, we're we're like predominantly a shellfish company and then this this kelp was always on the roadmap but we started to pull it forward as we saw the um the market start to develop um mm. where there's you know all, all these companies so actually the what we started with is is you know figuring out ways that we could harvest shellfish and you know using you know sensors like using sensors and data systems and robotics to um, harvest shellfish in the most efficient way possible and develop the highest quality product. You know, the, the goal is to refine all of these systems so that they're, um, you know, scalable and we're able to, you know, meet, meet the, meet the, the enormity of the demand coming right. As, as a, you how know, do you fund the kelp farming? Uh, and this distribution of kelp is this something you think governments will pay for or you'll get carbon credits for this and then be able to sell them to the car companies <laughs> yeah, who that's right. won't make car make uh you know uh, EVs <laughs> yeah i mean i think that there's a bunch of different mechanisms right now we're operating in a voluntary market where like most of these super you know the progressive companies um the progressive companies with a lot of cash are making uh, commitments in response to consumers, um, and, and, and their own ethical, you know, in the, you know, the ethical guidelines of the CEOs or whatever or management teams, but they're, uh, they're making commitments to be, uh, zero carbon. And, mm. you know, a lot of that is like buying renewable energy and like establishing renewable energy for their facilities. But a lot of it is going to have to come through negative emissions. So, um, so somebody like Apple or Google who've made the that's Amazon, right. who've made these commitments publicly that's to right. be carbon neutral by 2030, they're not going to get there just with solar starting. panels. Yeah, they're no, going to need to give money just... to you. They're going to need <laughs> to give you 50 million a year, 100 million a year to go ship some uh, kelp yeah. out there and, and, and sequester some carbon. That's right. And that's like a first, that's, that's great that these voluntary markets are, exist. I'm super happy that there's that, that level of interest out there. And I think that, you know, as as time goes on, you know, when you look at the level of effort required, this is going to look a lot more like a, um, you know, a world war on carbon. And so, mm. and it's going to be, uh, uh, it's going to require, I think it's going to require governments to step in and to, uh, 
you know, accelerate these efforts um, so that we can, you know, wh- how, you know, to, to do permanent carbon removal um, at scale, it will probably require government intervention. I'm curious, uh, and, you know, not to, to make this political, but just on a factual basis. Yeah. Um, what trajectory were we on under the previous eight years of uh, the Obama administration in terms of uh, if you were to rate them? either a letter grade or a scale of one to 10 on their focus on climate or carbon and then this current one and do you feel this current administration you know have they have they set us back or have they is there in a way some perverse way in which they're just absolute um you know ignorant you know denial of this has inspired your generation you know millennial i believe you're a millennial but I'm not certain of that. Um, but millennial generation, Generation Z, seem to look at this as a key uh, component of their operating system going forward. Like I, I, every young person I meet, for them, you know, prior to Gen X, that climate change is just top of mind. Absolutely, they would care more about the climate than their own personal careers. Let's say. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, like, uh, who doesn't? I mean, they, you'd have to. Well, be I don't think boomers do. I mean, literally, okay. I think boomers yeah, yeah, don't. Yeah, and I think that's fair part enough. of the. And I think Gen Xers are kind of eighty percent in, twenty percent maybe denying. Okay. Well, I mean, look. Yeah. Well, one, anybody that wants to do do a lot of really hard work um, yeah. and doesn't c- come. <laughs> Give me a shout and we'll we'll get to work. Yeah. Um, I got plenty of work for people to do. Um, you know, you're asking me to do math and you're asking me to talk politics. Was really t- <laughs> well, <laughs> but I mean, I like just math, in terms of politics, like I'm just curious. I mean, look, look, like it's not like uh, I'm going to be real. It wasn't it's not like they were. Uh, uh, who, who, no, barely anybody's addressing this except these like super forward leaning tech companies at this point. Like that's oh, that's interesting. That's the reality. Like, like the you know, okay, you signed the Paris Accords, great. Like, what are you going to do about it, right? Paris the, Accords the, the, seemed like, the to be all on in, right? Like, like we're the, all yeah. going to try our best, but it didn't seem like it actually had goals on it. The, the forests are on fire right now. The fish are swimming away right now. And that's with the carbon that's already, hap- that's already up in the atmosphere. So what are we going to do about it? Like, that's what it comes down to. It's like, and, and, and <laughs> the, why, why in 2020 are companies like Running Tide or Charm or whoever just just getting into this like why 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 hasn't uh you know the time to you know it's like i mean it's a chinese proverb when was the best time to plant a tree it was 20 years ago the next right. next best time is today so yeah. i mean i'm glad we're doing it but like i don't want to i don't think anyone's off the hook on this you know yeah. like you, you, i don't think that's i don't think that's the right way to approach it i think we just have to be like look this is real this is happening right now and we have to get after it uh and do you feel like the uh investment community sees this like chris saka do you see a change because you've been at this for a couple of years i think the company started in 2017 have you seen any change in the last three or four yeah. years or and i know you went to columbia's center for sustainable energy um or engineering rather back in 2009 so maybe just over the last decade what have you seen in terms of the finance communities and the entrepreneurial communities embracing of this as an opportunity as a business opportunity yeah i think that i think that um I think that on the consumer side, like on the consumer, the demand side, uh, I think that it's really that I think people, people believe in this, you know, like there's a lot of support for people to be like, okay, let's get, let's get super healthy, low carbon proteins. Like let's figure out how to do that. And I think that there's a lot of investment in that, in that space. 
Um, and I think that's really exciting. And like, you know, we're, we're one of, we're a beneficiary of that, um, you know, a little bit more on the natural food side than some of the other cultured meats, but like, you know, I think that that's, that helped us get off the ground. When you want to talk about like direct carbon sequestration, I don't think that's really kicked off. Um, but I, it, you know, where it needs to be, I think that, um, I think it's as important as anything, you know, short, sh- short of like, uh, stopping nuclear uh, weapon proliferation. I think that, um, pulling carbon out of the skies is, is, is one of the most important things we can be doing. So like, I mean, I, I it, it, you know, the question is, you know, what role does capital have to play in that? I think it's a pretty important role. So, yeah. And just in terms of humans belief, um, in climate change, um, the share of humans saying they think climate change is the, who believe the climate is changing and human activity is mainly responsible. 71% of people in India believe this. 69% of people in Spain believe this. Great Britain, it falls to 51%. Um, and then when you get to the United States, only 38, this is in 2019, 38% of people believe that. Saudi Arabia and Norway, 35 I bet, I bet it's way higher. I bet it's way higher this year than last year. I have a feeling where like, <laughs> it's really interesting. It's like, we are such schmucks that we like scientists show us this. And we need to have 10 or 20 smoke days in the Bay Area for the world to actually believe it. Um, It is a really bad um, aspect of human nature that we have to see things firsthand to believe them sometimes. Yeah. And Um, I mean, it's, it's a shame. I think a lot of it is, uh, comes from people not seeing available solutions and mm -hmm. not seeing like a, like a, and I think that, um, now that there's starting to be solutions out there, um, whether it's food, which I think is super critical, um, mm. if it's, you know, electric cars are starting, you know, you start to see them all the, every day now instead of one or at least, you know, once a week. Um, yeah, and it's I not, think that when you see a, when you see an electric car, you don't take out your camera and take a picture of it because it's so right. unique. I mean, when I, I had literally the 16th Tesla ever made, the Roadster, I had <laughs> serial number 16. And cool. I could not drive the thing in Santa Monica without... I kid you not, people opening the door and asking to take a ride. I literally would have people open the door out of valet and say, can I get in? I oh, wanted to I, sit in it. I, I haven't driven in a roadster. I'd love to. <laughs> Even today. It's, but, in my, it's in my garage. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the wrong, I think I'm on the wrong side of that country. But yeah, the, yeah. Uh, it's so cool. The, yeah, so there's, there's availability of solutions now. So I think that as more solutions pop up, I think people are going to start to like, amazingly, start to believe that we can do this, right? So... Mm. I think that, you know, when it's so you're hopeless, hopeful. you're hopeful. Uh, yeah. You would I have mean, to I, be to go to work every a, day. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I get a, I, I wake up every day. I, I get up really early and I'm fired up. I mean, I have an amazing yeah. team of people. They all believe in the mission. They're trying to grow the healthiest, lowest carbon f- uh, footprint food possible. We're, you know, we're, we're you know, you you're we're trying to like remove carbon from the sky and the ocean like that gets people fired up so i have no problem going to work every day um you know i just hope there's we just need more of this effort and it just needs to accelerate people need to be you know lean into it harder you know i mean so yeah i think that's i am hopeful i I am hopeful because i don't think we're gonna do it i guarantee we do it Mm. i think humanity is gonna do it it's just a matter of how much pain we go through before we get after it before really engaged, you know, because 
are we going to wait for like a super hurricane to like wipe out, you know, the Gulf Coast? Like, are we going to wait for that? Or are we going to wait for instead of 5% of California burning, 15% of California burning? At some point, it's going to be too much, right? At some point, we're going to stop and say, we need to solve this problem. Let's put our best minds, our best capital, our best money and, you know, make a national effort at this. So I think that it's going to get solved. It's just a matter of what we have to go through to get there. Do, do you feel what we saw during the pandemic in terms of, and it was a weird kind of observation that nobody expected, but when everybody had to shelter in place, we got to see what a world with, you know, almost, you know, I don't know if it was 80 or 90% less oil being burned in cities, what that was like when all the cars were off the road. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, people were seeing the Himalayas from, you know, you know, around places they had never seen them, but they were there. They just couldn't see them in India or wherever it was. Um, And then people couldn't see, even in the Bay Area, it was a very weird experience for me to look out on the sky in the Bay Area and say, wow, it's, you can see more stars or the air is cleaner. before the fires during the pandemic in the spring it was like wow the the air is noticeably cleaner yeah no i think it's a it's a i think that's it's i agree with you that the pandemic caused a pause and maybe caused people to take a look around them slow down a little bit take a look around look at their natural environment look at the built environment and change Mm. change slightly their relations relations to it and i think that's really important because you know one of the things we talk about a lot at Running Tide is we try to talk about like, okay, listen to the ocean, like look at the data, do the math, listen to the ocean. It's going to, you know, that's going to tell you everything you need to know. And I think that when people, and and then we do that and then all these opportunities open up. You just look like the ocean is this huge, super powerful thing. We need all, we need exponential functions to change the world and the ocean can like pow- absorb and power those exponential functions, whether it's food or climate or whatever. Um, and I think that when people take a pause and like look around at their natural environment and start to listen, like you can actually, f- you know, there's, there's not to sound too out there, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot to learn by doing that. And I think that the pandemic gave people that pause. It's going to take a long time to to get solar panels out there. Obviously, you know, putting them on every building it takes time. We're getting there, um, but nuclear uh, we haven't invested in here in the United States in a long time. We haven't had a new nuclear reactor since the early seventies. France is primarily powered by nuclear. Uh, Japan stopped nuclear after Fukushima, and G- and Germany in a very reactionary way, shut down their nuclear reactors, although mm-hmm. they've had days where they've had 50% of their energy provided by renewals, so they, they could afford to yeah. do that because of their investment. But putting all that together, would it not make sense, and I'm wondering if you would be in favor of a really urgent deployment of hundreds or you know dozens of nuclear reactors so that we stop uh, burning fossil fuels in the United States and other places? What's your position on, and especially for India and China as well, because China is making dozens of them, they're doing it. (laughs) So what's your position on nuclear as a bridge to get us off of fossil fuel? Curious. Um, You know, it's not something that I've done a ton of research on, so I don't want to like prognosticate, but I do think that it's, uh, nuclear gives us the opportunity to do direct air capture um, in a responsible way. Like direct air capture is like these giant fans or whatever that suck uh co2 out of the atmosphere and inject it deep underground or turn it into bricks and mm. it's a really interesting technology and if it runs off but but what was the name of that technology d yeah there's, so there's there's different types of carbon capture right there's there's dax which is like direct air capture there's bex which is like bio energy so like 
burning biomass and then taking the the leftover carbon and burying that. Um, there's like what I call direct ocean capture, like what we're doing. Um, so there, there's a variety of different um, carbon capture mechanisms. Now, the, the the careful thing, the thing we have to be careful about is like this concept of additionality. So are is your if you're even if you're putting solar panels out and using that to pull carbon out of the atmosphere, you have to compare that to just using the solar panels to prevent carbon from going up in the first place, right? So if you're if you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, if you're if you're pulling off the renewable energy grid in order to pull carbon out of the atmosphere, you have to you have to do the analysis of like is the the carbon I'm emitting to from like the natural gas plant to replace the energy that's coming out of the renewable grid, does that balance how much carbon I'm pulling down? So it gets really complicated. And that's why like, ultimately, it's going to require some sort of governance that's going to wrap all this up and like make sure all these things are balanced. Because if we do it in an ad hoc way, I really worry that we're going to lose some of the, the higher quality carbon sequestration techniques will 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 be given um, So trip. in relation to nuclear, if we were to create, let's say in the United States, you know, some of these small nuclear reactors are now much safer. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we were to create a yeah. hundred of them and we could get over the nimbyism of where to put them for a second, um, which I think if you told people in California right now, you know, we can start reversing climate change if you approve some nuclear reactors, people in California who are dealing with the smoke issue would be like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> right. Much rather have a couple of nuclear reactors and, and deal with that risk. In, and the new nuclear is so much safer than Fukushima, which was a disaster. They knew where they put it was below sea level and they took that risk anyway. And they kept right. that risk for 30 years. It was just really dumb. Uh, no offense. Yeah, um, I mean, I've, I've, I've read a bit about like how, how some of them now they fail safe, like they're fail safe. So if, if yes. anything, if any system fails, it shuts down. Yes. Um, I think but, that... Yeah. It would be, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I just wanted to know how you direct air capture related to nuclear is saying the nuclear yeah. reactor is there. And so it's throwing off so much energy. You could actually have DAC going on when it's got excess yeah, energy. I mean, like, I, I'll be honest, like I've, I've done a lot of modeling and thinking about how to use the ocean, right? Mm. For different things. Like that's kind of where my focus is. Um, I feel like that's where I bring like some, some sort of like a unique skill set when, when it gets to that, I just don't understand the risk curve. So like, I don't want to tell you that I think that's like a fantastic idea. I think that fr from, from like first principles, that makes a lot of sense, but I, d I don't have the uh, information to be able to like balance out the risks of this, of uh, nuclear energy. I think that people are probably not looking at the risks when they're against it, right? I, I bet that people aren't really digging in on all the, all the risks associated with it. And I definitely think that um, the, the status quo or like doing nothing about carbon in the atmosphere is like completely unacceptable and will be looked on as foolish. If we so, start- So like, what do we have to do? What, what tools do we have? That's a tool, yeah. right? Let's, let's assess through, it. If through sequestration and through- conservation not putting more carbon in um and you know just if we start going in a, a negative amount of carbon in the atmosphere um you said it might take 20 years or 30 years to sort of get that out uh, at a, ma a major cost so let's say that we start trending in that way what would we see happen would the would we see the climate would we see the temperature on go down again and not have these crazy heat waves and not have these dust bowls and would um, we see that or would it take time for that to occur i'm curious or yeah, do we not I mean, know well okay i don't 
think, I don't know if the models are sophisticated enough to really see that. I mean, we're basically the models are, have all been wrong and everything's worse than they thought it was going to be. So ah. let's be careful. But remember like what happens in spring or summertime or spring or fall when the sun starts to go down, right? Like June 21st, when the sun starts to go down, mm-hmm. it still keeps getting warmer, right? Mm. So it's going to, even if we started to bring carbon down from the level that it's at today and we started to bring it down, it's still going to keep getting warmer. It's still going to keep getting warmer. The rate of acceleration will probably slow, but we're still going to see it get warmer. So no matter what we do, it's going to get warmer for a while. And that's what's terrifying. And they, they, they talk a lot about like, oh, we can accept like a 1.5 degree C increase. And that's kind of like where pe- people have already baked that in. Like that's the best we're going to be able to do. That's terrifying because if it gets warmer than it is now by 1.5 degrees, like things are not looking great right now. So yeah. I think like the just, uh, I mean, I understand that there had to be some acceptance of some level of rise, but it's also like you kind of wish someone would step up and just be like, you know, one, one of these one of these leaders or and politicians would step up and just be like, no, like that's not okay. Yeah. What does it take to stop and like bring it right down as fast as possible? And I think that that would be like, um, you know, I, I, but I think consumers are doing that. <laughs> yeah. I think that consumers are driving it. I think like that's, I think that that's why, you know, you can see it in food because that's where people consume every day and they're able to make changes in their life. They can make these changes with food. They don't have, people don't necessarily have the power to change the energy grid, mm. right? Like they don't really, like any individual doesn't have any, it doesn't have enough power to do that. But yeah. like with food, you can, and you see it every day. And like, you see it with, um, you know, I see like, there's, you know, the rise of pescatarianism, veganism, vegetarianism. It's all a response to climate. It's what people have power over. So, I, th- I see leadership coming from just the mass, you know. We just, yeah. we just haven't had that, 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 that uh, transformational leader to step up. And I think this is generational. I'll be totally honest. I think the, these boomers who are thinking about their 401ks more than they're thinking about the environment and sustainability, you know, they're, they're – you know, we got 70 some odd year olds, you know, running for president, I think that their time is a decade away from being over. And then you start having, you know, the oldest members of Gen X starting to take positions of power. And they've got Gen Z kids, millennial kids, it's just kind of hard for them to sit and have a conversation with their own kids about what they're not doing. Whereas boomers can kind of talk to Gen Xers and hey, you know, there's reasons we're not doing it. I think it's becoming unsustainable for those leaders to to take this position. And Gen Xers just um, are cut from a different cloth than the millennials. Super. When they get in office, the AOCs of the world, like, they just, yeah. this is their number one issue, right? I mean, it's, uh, how can you, I mean, it's, climate change is going to take, like, I'm kind of, you know, I, li- I, li- I live in Maine. I like, <laughs> I like how being old are you? The- I'm curious. I'm 38. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I live in Maine. I like, I like to be outdoors. I like to surf and fish and, you know, yeah. like that's all the good stuff for me is provided by free from nature. Like that's yeah. what I like. I just like to be out there and, right. and climate change is taking all that and it's making it so in, in that's going to, it's going to make it so I can't fish uh, in these old fishing spots and I can't, mm. and the surf breaks are, are they even going to exist? They're going to get eroded away and like move, like wherever. So like, I'm looking at my kid's life and I think of the life I lived and that's just like, there's, it doesn't line up there. I'm not going to be able to pass all these traditions or all these things down to my kids. And that's like something that's super concerning. Yeah. The most disturbing moment I had in this whole discussion was two times when I was in Japan for my book tour, two different really educated people said they, they asked them if they had kids. They said, no, it's immoral to bring kids into this world. And I was like, well, 
kind of brought three into the world already. Thanks for telling me now. Yeah. But that Man, literally felt it was immoral because of global warming, because of the environmental collapse. Like, why would you bring a child into this? Which is, I mean, that to me I mean, was just heartbreaking. Like, it is. It's hard. I mean, that just. So I mean, right? Yeah, now I just want to get back to work right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, just literally work. people who believe yeah. that the human species needs to be half the footprint it is. I mean, that's the other. I mean, that's in a way what nature is telling us is, you know, maybe you guys overplayed your hands and maybe there should be half as many humans. Maybe we'll just burn all your houses. And I mean, maybe that's what Gaia and Mother Earth is telling everybody. Like, if you don't fix this, we're going to fix you. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of the message. What makes you hopeful? Because I know that you have a lot of contemporaries in the field. When you see yeah. other, we'll end on this is when you see other projects going on, which other projects inspire you and make you hopeful uh, that are going on in there? Obviously, foods. Uh I, th I think, yeah, I, I mean, food, I think, is, is number one in my mind. I see a lot of people, you know, changing how they eat and focusing on where it comes from and where, how clean it is, how, how well it suits their body, um, the carbon footprint, et cetera. I love, I love everything I'm seeing in food and that, like, um, I think, obviously, Elon Musk and Tesla, like, I mean, how can, how can you not? This guy's thinking, like, absolutely from first principles and and building huge yeah, trust me there's systems. a whole cobble of people who are shorting the stock who are rooting against it which is literally a direct line for rooting against the planet it's crazy I know, it's insane but um who are these you know, i mean how do you wake up in the morning just to pause on this for a second Mark, yes. can you imagine being so cynical you wake up in the morning and say you know what stock i want to short the one that's trying to save the goddamn planet and get us off fossil fuel I don't know. I'm, I don't have it in me. So I, I can't even, I, I, I honestly don't understand it. I don't, I mean, it's like, I mean, literally those people should just go buy a car, go buy an EV. Like yeah. that's what they should do. Yeah. Like they should be I, rooting for him to invest another 10 billion or 20 billion in making yeah. factories. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, uh, you know, project wise, um, you know, I, I think, the, this charm industrial, I think, I think what they're doing, I mean, I've never talked to them, but I think what they're doing is beautiful. I think like Shopify who gave us some support. Um, I think I I'm so inspired. I'm so happy that they're out there pushing, pushing the envelope and looking for these emerging like direct, uh, or like carbon capture programs. Um, Stripe is doing that as well. Uh, Amazon, Microsoft, um, you know, there, there's a bunch of companies that I think are, are so to really be clear. The as much as tech has been maligned uh, for being so successful, what you see is very conscientious capitalism as far as those companies are when it comes to climate. Man, they are actually leading. They're the tip of the spear for the climate revolution, aren't they? Every look, I, I, you know, I'm I was outside of the tech world. I'm not like an insider at all. Like I never my the. I knew one person in venture capital when I started on the running tide journey, and like I had one introduction. Like and and. I've built all, you know, all of that, all of those, that network's built over the past few years. You know, you heard a lot of bad stuff about it, like before I got into it, I listened to a lot of podcasts, but, uh, and you know, you read a lot of criticism, but once I got into it and every single person or, or like by and large, almost everybody I've talked to, all my investors, they're all just like amazing people, super forward thinking, trying to make the world a better place. Like, um, and I, yeah. and, and then these, when, when I've had contacts with these larger companies, like the people from Shopify, they've, uh, they've been brilliant and beautiful people like toby's a know, great human he's trying to pod yeah. oh really yeah they're yeah trying they're, they're trying to do the best they can and I, I i appreciate it and i haven't seen anything bad come of it like you know obviously i'm not gonna like there I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of downsides i'm not saying this isn't like a whitewash of 
anything that could that could be happening. But yeah, I haven't. I, I'm happy that they're doing the right thing on climate. That's all I don't care about. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but I, I mean, I do think it's a great pause, which is, you know, it's very easy to malign the secondary impacts of a lot of these tech companies, whether it was Amazon or Facebook. Obviously, when you build these very large at scale companies, um, they can have problems. But when it comes to climate change, to be clear, you know, the leadership on climate change coming out of the tech industry is second to nobody. I mean, and the investment That's, is second yeah. to nobody. That's, you got to give people credit for doing good things. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, I, I'm... Bezos is giving $10 billion to climate change. Good. Good. We need I don't it. I not you any yet, but no, but that's it. Doesn't matter. Right, it's like- well, listen. He he listens to the pod. Uh, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff at ba- at Amazon.com. Somebody email him right now. Send him a link to this episode and this timestamp. You you guys have his email. Jeff at Amazon.com. Go ahead and email him. Say listen to this part. Jake, I blew you up. You got ten billion. You're given. I'm going to say right now. Give Marty a hundred, hundred million. I, I, you know, there's a fifty fifty that he's going to get the message, and there's probably a ten percent chance he'll send you. 100 million because i mean you're doing it you're doing it it's legitimized and it's working yep. so we you're, you're hiring now i know that yeah tell yep. us what positions you're hiring for where would these people work and, and let's get you uh, to fill those positions what positions are you filling yeah absolutely. where can people go to uh, see the job postings and obviously your first name at your company name but uh yeah yeah um so what are you looking for let's i'm looking for engineer filled. yeah i'm looking for engineers across the board uh, you know mechanical um material science uh electrical and software so looking for right. all of them um we're looking for a director of uh biology director of biology there you that's go that's a good that's a good role um where would they have worked previously um a director you know i'm pretty i'm pretty open i'm pretty open-minded like there's going to be I, whoever we bring in i want to be comfortable with running uh a lot of experiments at the same time okay we, so got to be iter- bold experimental yeah we, we iterate we iterate super fast we build super fast we like i you know i i'm not embrace change embrace uh, yeah, yeah I mean, experimentation it, yes yeah exactly and like in you know the team my team is absolutely incredible i have some of the best people you could ever imagine they work incredibly hard and like it's very clear to me like we work we build as much in six months as most people build in years you know in three Amazing. years four years at another job like we just work uh really quickly and iterate as fast as we can gather as much data so you know the engineers biologists um yeah i mean i'm, I'm very keen to get as many people uh as many high level people as we can but also like there's a lot of opportunities in the in the uh entry level space for us as well because there's just awesome. a lot of a lot of work to do so if you're an engineer uh or you're in biotech i'm sorry in biology that's uh, right they got some opportunities here and uh, you guys the offices in maine yeah the office yeah we have we have an office in portland maine um nice. and beautiful beautiful some place. nice living out there some, city, some nice yeah. living nice living out there uh well listen i really appreciate you coming on the pod i know that you're not like uh necessarily going on tons of pods and uh i really appreciate you the work you're doing sincerely just you know from one human to another one founder to another i really appreciate you and what you're doing and i wish you great success with it and if anybody's listening to me if you're really smart and you're considering taking that max offer at facebook to go optimize ads and trick people into clicking on them and increasing by six basis points you know how efficient facebook's you know inane you know, completely boring uh, ad network is, go do something meaningful with your life, like working for Marty. 
because that's more important. There's all this brain drain of incredibly smart people taking $400,000 to work at Facebook on their goddamn ad network when you could take a little bit of a pay cut, maybe, but work on something you can be proud of. So go do it, everybody. All right, listen, Marty, uh, continued success with Running Tide. Congratulations on, congratulations on getting my pal Chris Saka on board. That's a real good get for you. He's a tremendous investor and, and human being as well. So everybody, runningtide.com. And we can't buy anything from you yet, but at some point you well, should- Well, no, I mean, I'm selling, I sell, we're selling oysters, we're selling clams. Okay. Uh, yeah. We're so go buy, <laughs> go buy some oysters and clams uh, <laughs> if you can get there. Uh, but yeah. I really think, you know, with this, when you start, um, oh, you can order them online, really? Yeah. Oh, look at that. 100 count bag of oysters. So everybody go to Running Tide and get some oysters. Um, but you can also, it would be also great <laughs> if when you do this kelp stuff, like if I could, you know, buy 10 stocks as a gift or like at this Christmas, if I could give a stock to everybody and give carbons, the gift of carbon sequestration to people, instead of sending them, you know, chocolate bars or whatever, I send them nice chocolate every year or I could do both. That's kind of a cool gift, you know, like kind of, Give people that gift. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, somebody we'll did this thing, and I saw Toby and Elon and everybody did it, where this person was like planting trees, and they did like a tree planting competition, and everybody just gave a million bucks over and over again. It was pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, yeah. we'll, well, you know, we'll be, well, I mean, hopefully we'll be, we'll be scaling up our, our efforts across the board, and uh, people can help us out. Be super appreciative. All right, buy 100 oysters right now. Buck 25 an oyster, great deal. <laughs> <laughs> Runningtide.com. Thank you so much, Marty, for coming on the pod. All right, take care. Thank you.